and welcome to PAX West 2018. Woo! I'm your host, Cap Bailey, editor-in-chief of US Gamer and host of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. We are in the middle of a top 25 RPG countdown, and we are on Mass Effect. Oddly, one of the less celebrated entries in one of the greatest RPG series of all time. Well, we're going to change that. We are going to celebrate the original Mass Effect, a game that deserves to be celebrated. And joining me, we have a really great panel, and they're going to tell me exactly who they are, and also they're going to tell me Renegade or Paragon. So here we go. Hello, hello. I'm Mike Williams, reviews editor of US Gamer, and I am a Paragon. Uh, I am Austin Walker, uh, editor-in-chief of waypoint.vice.com, uh, and it's, co- it's complicated. We'll get into why it's complicated. Of course it's complicated but, with you. Uh, Paragon. You feel oh, like a renegade, though. I know, so we'll, far. we'll explain what happens. Uh, I am Matthew Allen, co-host of Video Game Apocalypse, part of the Laser Time Network of Podcasts. Thank you. Um, so I like to have it both ways. I start Paragon with the first playthrough. And then I always go renegade. I would like to point out that both of these guys couldn't make a decision. (laughs) Paragon. (laughs) Okay, I start Paragon, so I'm a basic bitch. It's fine. (laughs) And as for me, I'm a renegade. I mean, come on. I I see your eyes. I can tell. The renegade is the most badass character in the entire game. And, I mean, you make all of the right decisions, frankly. (laughs) But there is a more important question. Are you male chef or femme chef? Well, we're going to get to that. Okay, okay. We're going to get to that. But let, let's hear from the audience. Can I get a, cra- uh, a cheer for all the paragons in here? Yeah. All right. That's right. All right. And how about a cheer from all the renegades? <laughs> oh, okay. They're just, there's not more of you. You're just louder. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which is very renegade, honestly. I, I was expecting to hear like a For the Horde when we did that <laughs> one, to be honest with you. There it is. There it is. We got a Krogan in the audience, folks. That's pretty cool. Uh, So Mass Effect, a game that launched an amazing series and kind of a turning point for Bioware. This game came out a month after Bioware was acquired by EA. It was kind of the end of an era, beginning of a new era, and we can boo EA, I suppose, but... (laughs) Uh, It it was a really interesting... We went from a company that was trying to do very hardcore RPGs, and this was where they were really reaching out to the mainstream for the first time. And the reason it stood out to us, it has one of the most beloved casts in RPG history. I I think it's fair to say it has a phenomenal universe. It's incredible lore. And it's just, it really stands out in your mind, doesn't it? I would agree with that. Except for Kaiden. (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh, why are you gonna do Kaiden yeah, like this? Already, we're just immediately, starting. like the first thing you said. <laughs> we're already. You could have talked about things you loved, and immediately, yeah. are you sure you're Paragon? Because the first thing you got to do was drag Kaiden. I mean, I love everything, but Kaiden. Which I think speaks to the quality of that game, and also to the quality of those other characters. Uh, I like Kaiden. I'm actually a, a pro Kaiden person, but we'll get to that. Uh, but in general, for me, like coming to play this game. 
I was someone who fell off of Bioware games. Uh, that's not true at all, actually. Just I fell off of the kind of old school uh, isometric RPGs. I'd, I'd grown up playing Baldur's Gate and then went with them as they started making, as they did KOTOR, as they did Jade Empire. And so I was very, but I'd stopped playing other types of, mm. of computer RPGs. And so I was very ready for this shift. But what I hadn't anticipated was how important it was in order to kind of usher in a new era of video game storytelling. Um, it introduced a lot of things besides a really amazing world and amazing characters. It brought the kind of like Hollywood style shot reverse shot cutscenes. Yeah. Every character was voice acted and was voice acted at a very uh, a high degree of quality, even Kaiden, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and so there was something that felt like a sea change in gaming that year. I mean, it was 2007, right? Like this is such a major year for gaming, Mass Effect, Bioshock, a ton of great games, and it felt like the generation was really coming into its own. I think Mass Effect is, has a lot to owe to the contemporary era, uh, uh, the, con- the contemporary era of video games has a lot to owe to Mass Effect. I think it's funny to hear you say that this was their first foray into kind of a game for the masses, but this is a studio that had been working on Star Wars, right? <laughs> but but I, I do agree with you in a way in that this was their first time of having something that was their own that was for the masses that truly felt huge because up until this time they were really known as okay they do Baldur's Gate and like D&D games and then they did the Star Wars game but this was their first chance to kind of break away and it actually was the first in a model they did it again with Dragon Age like they were the D&D guys and they're like well we're going to have our own RPG universe at this point with with more of the fantasy side so um, I just remember that when that came out in November of 07 just how big this felt. Like, it felt like they were starting something big. And I think part of that was they were very clear from the start this was the first in a trilogy. Like, it was always going to be a trilogy. And that's what was so weird when it was acquired by EA. A lot of us who've been following development um, were like, what does this mean for the trilogy? Because the first game was, of course, a Microsoft-exclusive title. Yeah, and it came relatively early in the generation because 2006, of course, was when the PS3 and the Wii came out. The Xbox 360 had been out in early 2005. And often, at the beginning of a generation, you see the really ambitious projects. You see developers going, I got all this new technology. I'm going to do something really awesome of it. It can be pretty variable. I mean, Shadow of Mordor was a really interesting project that never really went anywhere. It was an enjoyable game. But Mass Effect was like, no, we're doing this thing. We have these HD movie-like graphics. We have arrived in a cinematic way. And speaking of cinematic, why don't we watch the launch trailer? Because I I feel the need to get kind of hyped up here, right? We face extinction. Soldier leads an unstoppable force across the galaxy, and only you stand in his way. Don't you understand? You've lost everyone you know and love. Everyone, you will all die. Let's finish this. Is submission not preferable to extinction? We just spotted a troop ship, and it's bleeding gas all over the bomb site. Can you hold them off? There's too many! I don't think we can hold them! I'm activating the nuke! I'm sorry, Ash. I had to make a choice. I understand. 
I just want to start playing Mass Effect right now. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Jump in. This Xbox 360 is telling me that right now. A few things that, like, uh, a few things that kind of stand out to me. So, in 2004, I believe, BioWare, we were starting to see something changing with the way we appreciated consoles. And BioWare was really at the forefront of this. And that was Knights of the Old Republic was a console game for the Xbox. Yeah, it came out on PC, but it was a console game. And that was, it was a huge moment because that was the moment when PC games started to come on to consoles in a really major way. And that was the game that made Bioware, I feel like, as the, the company that we know it today. Yeah, like you, you said you played a lot of their games prior to that. Yeah. I had actually never played a Bioware game. I had PC, but I never played a Bioware game until Knights of the Old Republic, because I'm a big Star Wars guy. Sure. And that was, like, that was a very big moment that they brought the CRPG genre to consoles in a way that worked for a lot of people. Totally. And, and I think one of the reasons that it worked for a lot of people is part of what the launch trailer we just saw sold. And also even the one of my favorite pieces of Mass Effect Ephemera is the, like, the TV trailer for the game, the oh, TV so commercial good. for the game, which is about a fictional... It's like it's not a trailer. It's not a, a cutscene from the game at all, really. No. But it is a similar thing of like, well, do we go save the people here or do we go save people? Do we just you know, commit to the mission? Uh, it's all about choice. Like That was the thing that... If you played console RPGs, it was rare that what you were playing was something with diverging paths. Like, as someone right. who grew up playing lots of JRPGs and lots of console RPGs, you made choices here and there. I'm not saying that never happened. But on the computer, in games like Baldur's Gate, you were oh, often... Fallout. And yeah. Fallout, yeah, yeah you totally. Often, you know, determining the fates of characters, of locations, of, of you know, the setting in general. Uh, and so, for something like Knights of the Old Republic, which brought that to so many more people, that was a huge part of it. Like, what do you do with, with Bastila? What do you do with Mission? What do you, like, what do, you do with Karth? That was such uh, a huge selling point and the water cooler conversation and I mean I was in high school right so like the the locker conversation like oh did you what did you do last night like that stuff was so big that I was so happy to see them pivot and make that the focal point of how they sold Mass Effect what do you do in Vermeer? that's in the launch trailer they spoil that they really do it's fine to spoil it because there's so many other great choices in the game that you can know about that when heading in and still have a great time I think a lot of people forget that Mass Effect 1 was an Xbox 360 exclusive. And it was games like Mass Effect, a PC game from a PC developer, ultimately, that had become, that had managed to transition to a more of a console thing that really propelled the Xbox 360 to success in so many ways. Um, I ultimately loved the PS3. I thought it was a great console. But, I mean, you could say that in making a custom processor, making it very hard to make games, Sony really set themselves up for failure last generation. And so in many respects, Mass Effect was kind of emblematic of why the Xbox 360 dominated the generation for so many ways. I remember how wrong it felt to see the Mass Effect 2 box with, like, on the PS3. You're just like, <laughs> It was wow, so weird when it came out, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, when it, by the time Mass Effect 2 finally came out to the PS3, uh, like they had actually turned Mass Effect 1 into a motion comic, which I always thought was a little bit disappointing because I was like, well, yeah, you can make some choices, but you should really appreciate this game, which is really completely contained, which is one thing I always really liked about it, as opposed to just 
you know, a cliffhanger. They could have done what Shinmu did, which is just put all the cinematics on a disc and ship it because they had to go from platform to platform. Right, yeah, totally. (laughs) But they didn't. And I will say that as someone who had lots of friends who only had PS3s and who were committed to being Sony players, I was at least happy they had. They understood that, again, the choices were what was important. You have to at least give players the option to, like, create their own path and create their own story uh, if you're going to jump from not having played Mass Effect 1 to jumping into Mass Effect 2. A good game in its own right. A very good game in its own right. Yeah, that little interactive motion comic thing was really nice, actually. Like, I, for what they had to do, I right. mean, like, they had a limited amount of choices there. I've never used it because I cannot... I, sometimes <laughs> I get in my head like, oh, I want to replay Mass Effect 2, but I can't do that without going back and playing through Mass Effect 1 first. It feels like a betrayal somehow. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the biggest shifts for Mass Effect was, if you look above all those games, they're kind of pseudo-turn-based games. Mass Effect, it was an action game. Now, not in the same way that Mass Effect 2 was an action game. Mass Effect 2, with its ammo and its, like, properly skill-based aiming, (laughs) Mass Effect was still... Mass Effect 1 was still an RPG in many respects. It definitely took after games like Deus Ex, which had kind of inaugurated that particular first-person shooter-type genre. Um, Mass Effect, of course, was a third-person genre. Like, you saw so much of Bioware's mechanics um, in Mass Effect and so much of its DNA in Mass Effect, but it was definitely a huge uh, transition, and I was wondering if you guys can, like, talk about that a little bit. Uh, For me, the weirdest part, but also the part I liked the most, was probably the... Um, cover system, so like there was that weird third person. Cover systems were so novel in 2007. Oh, yeah. they, were, oh, they, were, they were beautiful and amazing, but at the same time, uh, whereas Mass Effect 2 is a little bit more action-y, um, Mass Effect 1 was still firmly in the pause and play style, which allows you to like really sit and think, what am I going to do here? Whereas 2 and then 3 are very much like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I, I sort of miss that slow, methodical play that Bioware sort of lost over time. When it, it seemed, in, while playing the Mass Effect games, I always felt that that transition made a lot of sense in a thematic way, right? Mass Effect 1 mm. is so great because you're stepping out into the universe for the first time, you're learning about all these alien species, you're moving tactically through the lore, right? You're like, all right, I gotta be careful with the Geth because I don't really understand what the deal is with them and the Quarians. Like, what is their relationship actually like? And so, both as a fictional, like, traveler through this universe, you're moving slowly and cautiously and uncovering information, and mechanically, you're doing the same thing. You right. land on a planet, you start scouting things out, you drive around with your Mako, <laughs> you find one of the many exact same cookie-cutter modular bases, which I love dearly. You park, and you're like, okay, what is, how am I going to approach this situation? And so, like, that is the version of Shepard that you are. It's the version of being a Spectre. And then as the series progresses, things get more and more fraught and they get more and more intense, and bit by bit, like, for me as a player, I was fine with the shift towards action, because, you know, in the narrative, that's what was happening. Like, I, I gotta speed things up, I gotta keep moving, I gotta keep moving, but I will say that, like, when Dragon Age Origin shipped, and I, I was really excited that they still had a place oh, in their hearts so for that sort of turn-based, or not turn, you know, semi-turn-based tactical combat. Right. Yeah, I felt like Mass Effect 1 was this true transition game where... In KOTOR, when you rolled up to do combat, it was, it was pretty much dice rolls, and so you would just be flailing with your lightsaber or what have you, and either, whether the animation made it look like you connected or not, it was just sort of random, right? But with Mass Effect, at least, 
there was a little bit of that, but it felt like, okay, if, if my sights are over a guy, I'm going to connect, you know. But one of the, the things, like, it was slower paced and it was fiddly, and there was an elevator that took five minutes to go down every time because it was a loading <laughs> screen. But that's sort of what made it more like an RPG, like a traditional RPG. And, and so I do, yes, it was great to have Mass Effect 2 kind of get rid of some of those things and streamline them, but it's great to have Mass Effect 1 to kind of mark that transition of, okay, we're going from this traditional kind of PC series, and yes, it's going to be a little clunky in some places, but, you know, Mako 35, shout out right now. Um, like, there were some good parts to it. You know, there, yeah. there was still some stuff I feel that got lost when you transitioned from 1 to 2. Uh, I, exactly. I miss some of those fiddly bits. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to make this panel, let's crap on Mass Effect 2 and 3. (laughs) But I I think that so much that people, like, decided, oh, Mass Effect 2 gets celebrated a lot, and justly. But I do think that in streamlining it a ton, they they really did lose the RPG soul Mm -hmm. of uh, Mass Effect. And it's not just narrative. Mass Effect 2 has a really good narrative component to it, but it loses the mechanical side. And I always thought that was... A little bit of a bummer. I would say the original Mass Effect is quite a bit more tactical. Yeah, I I still enjoy Mass Effect 2 and 3. And and when a series shifts like that, it's fine to to be able to say, I like this for this reason, this for that reason. I just, Bioware as a whole, I I sort of miss that. That style. So say we all. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the Normandy really quickly. Oh, I love it. That was a beautiful ship. I I think the Normandy just right away basically makes Mass Effect, because that is a cool ship that you get to command. And there are not enough space games where I get to command my own cool damn (laughs) ship. And if we want to talk about the difference between Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 and 3, my favorite thing in Mass Effect, and one of my favorite things in games in general, is the moment when you land on a planet, and then the door opens, and you step outside. And it's all seamless, it all feels completely connected, there's no load screens like in Mass Effect 2 and 3. And that is still one of the most magical moments I have ever experienced in a game ever. It's great. Well, it's like, what is this place? Like, that feeling again and again. I, people, people do shit talk to the Mako. And I, and I understand that it is super fiddly. And sometimes to get it up a mountain or a hill, you kind of have to just, like, throw it up there. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> come on, like, get up there. Uh. Uh, and I get that, but there was such a joy in going from place to place and landing and figuring out, like, it's, it's one of the only games I've ever 100%ed. I'm not that player. I'm not the player who goes and gets all of the collectibles. I've never had that impulse. Except here, I got all of the Turian insignias. I got all of the uh, Asari, what are they? The, the, yes, the writing, the writing the, the, yeah, the writing excerpts. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and I did it because I just wanted to know every little bit of, of information in the game and every corner of all of those worlds. Um, and sometimes you get really rewarded by, by doing that because you find some great little side quest that was not, you know, kind of, that didn't have a marker near it in any way that you would have just never seen or some piece of strange lore about, about uh, the world and, and the Protheans and everything else because you were inquisitive. And that's not a thing that you get a lot of in games, really. Like, real, really having to dig for information, mm-hmm. not having it presented to you on a platter, isn't a thing that's rewarded that often. And in Mass Effect, it really is. And let's be honest, being able to throw the Mako up like that, that it feels good. It feels good. good. I'm yeah. with you. I love it. No, the Mako handles like a cross between a warthog and like a hydraulic car from a Dr. Dre music video. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh-huh. yeah. It's ideal. Got the bounce going on? Yeah. Like yeah. So, 
Mass Effect was pretty explicitly a cross between Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, I always thought of the storytelling a little bit as Babylon 5, but without the... Uh, did anybody here watch Babylon 5? Any Babylon 5 fans Ooh. in the house? All right, there we go. We got some people, the kids of the 90s right here. <laughs> if you ever watch Babylon 5, one of the things is the universe has, or the, the race, the humans are a newcomer race, yeah. just yeah. like in Mass Effect. Uh, there are the ancient races, uh, like the Mimbari, and they all have to unite against a, a seeming terrifying threat. Well, I never thought about that, and you just, you just took it. You took my, I got to go from this panel. <laughs> <laughs> and the White Star even looks like the Normandy, and White Star is a really cool ship. Uh, the difference, of course, was, and the reason I ultimately liked Babylon 5 was that it kind of deconstructed that a little bit yeah. and like really surprised you where Mass Effect kind of played it straight a little bit. Uh, ultimately, the Reapers were kind of your existential. They were actually chaotic evil. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, totally. they, they were the um, uh, cosmic horror, basically. It, yeah, it, I was going to say Lovecraft is yeah, a good they were example. Very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Well, like I, for what it's worth, like I'm with you that I love Babylon Five for deconstructing that. Yeah, and, Babylon Five fan right here. Absolutely. But what I also love is. It's a tough thing with games, and I think this conversation is ongoing right now. Uh, there's a lot of talk right now about whether or not Cyberpunk 2077 will emphasize the best parts of that genre or the worst parts of that genre, right? Like, there, there's that as an interesting discussion. Um, and there's part of that discussion that says, like, well, sometimes in games, like, we can point to things that have kind of uh, uh, shown us the, not just the best version of, of a genre, but actually enacted and executed on the genre tropes in a way that's just, like really, not mind-blowing because it's surprising, but because it's just executed on well. And so I think about something like the conversation on Vermeer with Sovereign as being this thing that you could have found in any sci-fi novel. Like I, I, that scene is fantastic, but what makes it fantastic is that it happened in a game, and it was the first time I had a conversation like that in a game. I'd read things like that in sci-fi novels before, or in Cosmic Horror or whatever, right? Or in like movies, In yeah. movies especially. But that scene is so good because I just had never experienced anything like it in a game before, and that's worth something. Like that, even though I can say, like, oh, yeah, but like in this book, this basic same thing happens, or in Babylon 5, this is the same thing. Like it, it, the fact that it brought that into gaming was so important for yeah. me as someone who wanted gaming to step forward. Yeah, because most of the story beats in Mass Effect and the very first one are, are pretty straightforward. Yeah. Like, as soon as Saren pops up, well, oh, right. right. Yeah. But I still cried at the end of the Saren arc, right? <laughs> right. Like, because it's powerful, and it's just so well executed. Yeah, you, you mentioned the human race, and let's, let's be honest for a second. Like, the writers were not afraid to call us on our shit. So the humans are like the newcomers. The first thing they do after taking a Mass Effect relay is attack an alien race without really figuring anything out, who they are. Like, yeah, we suck. And so then they're known... For, they, basically, this whole game, you're trying to overcome this image of, like, well, humans are hotheads. You're trying to prove yourself. You're the first human specter, and so you have all this pressure just because humanity started by screwing up. The first thing they did after discovering this tech. And it's like, yeah, that would actually happen. Like, space Force! Space Force! We go out there, and we're going to... That's what we will do. Yeah. That's what we're going to do when we go in space. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's similar to Babylon 5 in that respect as well, because the backstory of that is we were in a devastating war with a, an advanced race, and that's what happened in Mass Effect as well. Is the yeah. ultimate. It's like, first thing you humans get into space, they piss somebody off. Well, and there's something that was else cool about that is coming from so many fantasy games in which humans are positioned as neutral, just, oh yeah, they're just a blank slate. They're just what people are. Or like, you know, you get like, well, humans are adventurous, so they get a little XP bonus or something. I love that in the Mass Effect universe, humans are not 
not the neutral, like, average species. They right. have a very specific, like you said, they're considered hotheads. They have cultural baggage. You don't ever walk into a room in that game, especially in the first game, and think, this is my room and there are aliens in it, right? You think, like, okay, okay let me steal myself and not get into any trouble here. I don't know shit about the Hanar. I hope I don't say anything that offends somebody and I fail this quest. Right, and, and that's why, like, when I played paragon for that first time like that's why i played paragon because when you look at that cultural baggage like i tend to start playing by what makes sense in this world right at the moment and like they bioware never made a, a point in either direction but it feels like paragon like the renegade shepherd if that guy in first mass effect you would kind of look at him and be like, oh, no, everyone was right. Everyone was right. They should, they should really take that guy away and yeah. like not well, give him any money. That game does do that because the renegade shepherd is Saren, right? right. Like Saren is the renegade specter who finds out about what's happening and does whatever, whatever he thinks is necessary to save the day. And like the game editorializes and says, well, here's what it costs you. It costs you everything. Right. Well, let's talk about the cast because Ooh. I would say that the core cast of Mass Effect, I mean... They're the ones we like the best, right? I mean, one of my favorite moments in Mass Effect 2 is when you're fighting through this massive, uh, like, there's a siege and against a tower, and there's some unknown sniper, and you're going, yeah. what the heck is going on? And you finally get there, and, hey, it's Garrus, yeah, hooray, I'm, like, getting back together with my old buds. Like, when you got together, back together with your old buds, that's what solidified Mass Effect 2 for yeah. me. Yeah. So I think the first question I got to ask, and this is a very important question, male shepherd or femme shep? How about you, Mike? I'm going to disappoint everyone and say I pick male shepherd because I'm that guy who, who goes into an RPG. Was it and customized rec- or preset? Oh, no, customized. All customized, right? In a custom character creator, I will create no, a character that looks pre-roll. like me. Are there so, any monsters in this room who just played with generic default male shepherds? I did. Oh, my I God. I, I admit oh it. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. It okay, was an I'm early time in my life. I was pre-woke. I didn't know what I was supposed to I, be doing. <laughs> I what? felt bad for choosing male shep and customizing to look like me, but you're the true monster. He, well, I, well, I, tr- I tried a custom character, and the animations never quite matched up. Like, the pre-roll That's guy, true. he looked good. Like, he was a handsome guy, right? But yes. Was Here's he? what I did. Here's what I'm, I'm truly. Yeah. Was he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's in that lighting. Close your eyes and imagine you're on the Normandy. The lights are low, and he walks in the room. Yeah. Actually, I'm sort yeah. of a true monster. So I, when I played Paragon, it was always with the male shepherd, and then when I played Renegade, I would roll Fem Shep, so she yeah. would be a badass. Yeah. Fem Shep's great, and and I absolutely have done playthroughs of the entire series as as. Femme Shep. But it's like weird that we even say Femme Shep because it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you know, regular Shep, Shep and then yeah. Femme Shep, right? Yeah. Um, but to speak to Mike's point, you know, obviously I played lots of games in which I made characters, but it was a, a really beautiful game in which I could make a character who looked like me. And, you know, not exactly like me. Yeah, of course not. Let's say Shepard was in better shape, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say they didn't have beer tech that looked like a really scruffy, poorly grown-in beer, which is way worse you know, back in 2007. Uh, but, like, and I, I say this you know, with, with some care, like, as a black man in America, in which I'm playing video games, it's rare that I get to be, like, a black action hero. And, right. and it was really important at that moment to be able to do that and just, like, be that character. And so I did that, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of that 
but also I'm glad I also went back and played through his Femship. Femship <laughs> is better in every way. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Femship was my renegade playthrough. I, whenever I do Bioware games, I always do the Paragon, like, what makes sense, and then I do the let's just kill everybody. Oh, so you're just like us. You just wouldn't admit it to uh-huh. sort of the panel. Yeah. I see how it is. After, it. I'm Paragon in my heart. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Heard that. Tell to the judge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's one glaring omission from that cast list that I do want to call out. So that would be Jeff Joker Moreau, the pilot of... Uh, What's amazing is... How do you disrespect Seth Green's star of 1993 rollerblading classic Airborne? Come on. Hey, come on. he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a couple of seasons. Well, there's that too. But it was on. amazing. Come on. What's well, amazing is actually there's a second absence that you didn't call oh, out. Oh, I'm, who's missing? Let's see if he notices. Ashley is not there. Right. Okay, okay. Which is like, I think, one of the biggest conversations that we've had yeah. uh, you know, in the circles of games at the time. It's like, do you save Kaiden or Ashley? What, who, what's your pick? I mean, I didn't like... So, so, so I didn't like Ashley, but she was more interesting than Kaiden. So I let her live. <laughs> so yeah no it's, it's like you had two human characters neither of whom anybody really seemed to like yeah. nobody liked Kaiden and Ashley was racist or yep. at least that yeah. was yep. that space was racist right? and yeah, I was like you know what yeah. you know what I really don't like you but at least you're interesting so let's go <laughs> I ultimately kept Ashley around as yeah. well um, and actually, the character I was doing some heavy-duty role-playing because my character as a renegade was like, nope, I am representing the human species. Right. I am very, pro, very pro-human, and I don't trust these aliens. They're not human. Oh, I don't no. know. And uh, I had an arc in mind as I was playing through the game, or through the entire series. I was like, as time goes on and she meets these crew members and comes to trust them, her heart opens and she totally eventually comes to accept, it's like, yes, it's a one big intergalactic community, but also she let the council die, and that's a, that was an embarrassing moment. But. Boy, you, you guys have such good excuses. Uh, I let Ashley live just because I was trying to hit on her as my character at the time, so sorry about that. Just out of curiosity, like, let's throw it to the audience. Who let Caden live? And who let Ashley live? All right, yeah. So, Kaden and Ashley, was Ashley actually a space racist? Or yes. What, was she? Yes. Oh, okay. Like, we're, we're, nobody's going to stand up for Ashley here. 100% space racist, but... But, I mean, she actually played out the arc through the majority of the game. Like, she, she has that racist rant at the beginning, but at, her arc through the game is she comes to know and like the crew of the Normandy and realize by meeting minorities and other people yep. that it's okay. <laughs> Like, she's not yeah. racist anymore. That's right. it. Well, and then she gets the great opportunity to undo the mistake her grandfather did by sacrificing her life on Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is what happens. That's why it's so good. It's like literally the end of her arc as I'm going to make the sacrifice to help people that my grandfather would have shot on sight means something. And so, like, so, she gets her way out. So, so what was Kaiden's thematic endpoint there? I, I kind of stopped talking to him around. <laughs> uh, three-fourths of the way through. <laughs> there was a truck in his backstory, right? Is that... I, I, I just... He had an old implant. He's, he didn't he trust was me, very too. sad. That's, yeah. He, he had cool psychic powers. Yo, wait, is Kaiden the dude from Dashboard Confessional? <laughs> <laughs> like, straight up, Kaiden, sorry. 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 We That's apologize. how boring he is. <laughs> I can't quite remember. 
And look, look, it's not just like, just to delve into Mass Effect 2, it's not just, just Caden's fault. I also thought Jacob was super boring. So. <laughs> so. He was also built. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back yeah. to Joker really quickly, it was yes. pretty cool. Sorry. The, the reason I want to joke around there, so Joker is he's the voice of the ship. He's the voice of the Normandy until the Normandy actually gets her own voice in later games. And then he dates the voice. And then he dates the voice, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? But the reason I think Joker's so important, in addition to being comic relief, and he's great, and it's, it's actually a good role. I mean, at the time they were like, we're going to have these big voice talent, and then I think Seth Green was like the biggest name they got for that first game, but that's fine. Um, he, it, yeah. Keith David. Keith David, yeah. David is well. actually who just yeah. narrated the launch yeah. trailer. Please, it's not just Keith David. It's always motherfucking Keith David. You have to say it. Um, no, but he, what was great, it was, um, he was a disabled character. And, you know, it was one of the first, in my memory, representations of a disabled character who was a hero in any video game series. You know, his whole thing, he had to steer the ship because he had, I think it was like a nervous system disease or something that he couldn't... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't like walk around and participate outside, but he was the best pilot in the galaxy type thing, and that was really cool to see representation of someone who had a disability in a major video game. So looking at the aliens, I, I thought they were all pretty interesting in their own way. Uh, a, lot of, uh, one, a trope in Bioware games is they always have the cranky guy. Um, they have the robot that wants everybody to die. They have Rex, who's just... Kind of a jerk, but I mean, in yeah. fairness, Rex does have a reason for being a jerk. I, I would say yeah. that the genophage uh, that the affects the uh, Krogans, probably the most interesting uh. runner through the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't you guys say that? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's, it's one of the bigger choices of the first game, and then it segues very well in with Morden yeah. across two and three, so like, it all comes together like, really well. Yeah, because it's one of the... I mean, you, talk, you look at games that talk about difficult choices. And so often you hear with an RPG, and from Bioware as well, it's like, we have a, a hundred years of... We have a thousand years of lore in either direction, and you're going to make difficult choices. And it's so rare that, A, the lore is interesting to the point where I actually want to read it in the codex. And I think the genophage is a really interesting thing to read about because there's so much morality like coming yep. into it, right? I mean... Yeah, it's really terrible that they did this to the Krogans. Krogans are also overrunning the galaxy. What, and you couldn't exterminate them, so what were you going to do? But they're overrunning the galaxy because they were positioned as a biological weapon in order to attack the Rachni, who later we learn, of course, were themselves uh, a kind of uh, unfair victim. Right? Well, that's, the, that's the point, though. Is like There's no hard and fast, like, yep. oh, this like guy's when... evil, so obviously I'm going to stand with it. And it's not often, actually, that you see that in games. Like So often it's like, okay, well, I mean, that's this is the obvious choice unless I want to be a complete jerk, right? Right. Well, again, the thing that I actually love about the series is it also still doesn't fall into a sort of like both sidesism, where what you end up doing doing is I think the the choice with the genophage in the first game is so fascinating because the conversation isn't like get over it Rex or I guess if you're renegade maybe it is but it's like (laughs) no you have a real reason to be pissed here I'm asking you to make a compromise so that we can make this larger victory I promise you we will get back to we will get back to this you have a a, and that is so much better than like well Rex you don't understand that they really needed to make it so that none of you can have children. They really, it was like, oh, like that isn't really the, I mean, like, you can play that way. I right. guess you can, right? But, but in my, even when I play Renegade, I can't do that to Rex. I love Rex. Then are you truly a Renegade? Well, no, and this actually gets to what I was saying, which is when I played these games, when I played them originally, I wasn't just like, I was like, a, I don't know, I was 20, 
whatever, 22 at the time, and so I was a, a little asshole. Um, I was like, I'm not just going to play Perry on a Renegade. I'm going to have like a worldview. And so my first playthrough was as like a hyper-utilitarian who was breaking down decisions based on what I thought the utility they would provide for the world, which oh, meant God. that sometimes I did do Renegade things. Did you let the Rachni die? No. I totally killed the Rachni. Wow. wow. It was hard. I didn't want to do it in my heart, because I was like, well, I mean, but, evil alien space bugs can totally redeem themselves. Yeah. But I was like, nope, I'm role-playing a renegade, and this renegade, oh, so who's totally a believer <laughs> in the human race, she's going to kill those rachni. They're going to die. Yeah. yeah was, I, I think there's some really rich opportunities for role-playing, especially in the original Mass Effect, that I kind of wish that the rest of the series had carried through. I will shout out one thing that the later series does well, I think the three actually does surprisingly well, and it's something that I don't think people pick up on, which is that they change the way your interrupt system works. Uh, so in, in one and in two, the, you made choices, you opened choices based on how many Paragon and Renegade points you had, right. but in three, that doesn't happen. Instead, three gives you points when you do interrupts, and it opens up either Paragon or Renegade options, which enables you to be a little bit more free with what your choices are, because sometimes you're like, no, fuck this guy, I'm going to kill him right now in the middle of the conversation, yeah. And other people you want to, like, save and give them the, the benefit of the doubt. And it actually mechanically allowed you to do that. I, I, sometimes going back to one, I'm like, oh, I wish I could be a little more precise in that way and still unlock those, those options. Well, it also makes it so you don't have time to think about your choice. You have totally. to act spur of the moment, which is like, are you truly a renegade? Or are you truly a yeah. paragon? It's instinct at that point. It's like, i got to be fast. Otherwise, you will miss those interrupt moments. Yeah, and there's, there's probably early on, there's a little bit fewer chances to play, say, uh, a forceful paragon right. Or, right. Or, or a more lax renegade. Right. So three really started. Unfortunately, like, it was still not as great of a game as one was, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, and also it didn't give you the other thing, which is the opposite, which is like you get to that Rex choice and you're like, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to 7-Eleven. I need to think about this. <laughs> I need some time. Well, i got to do a lap. Well, I mean, I made the, I was like, well, Rex obviously can't die. Right, yeah. Totally. It was right. obvious. Like, I just, I read on a fa- an FAQ, it was like, how do I save Rex? Okay, like, I'm going to do that to make sure that he yeah. stays alive, because there's just no way in heck it was. Do you, like, think about that whole sequence? Like, Vermeer is, I know you have a question that we're going to get to about what our favorite part of this game is, and I don't mm. mean to just jump ahead. I don't. But just, we're talking about Rex, we're talking about the sequence. That entire, like, that entire that line from the point of landing on that planet and getting the brief of what's happening through the conversation with Sovereign at the end has so many incredible moments and so many like beats that I just hadn't seen. Like think about when you go up to talk to Rex. Do you remember what Rex is doing when you do that? He's freaking out. He's having he's shooting Choosing fish in the water. He's literally just like boom boom and it's shot in this beautiful like this beautiful way it's like a mid uh, like a like a mid-length shot and you can just see his whole body he's so big and it's like the beaches in the distance it's like i didn't know games could do that and that's why it's like such an important game for me because otherwise you know four years prior that would have been it, you know if there had been a bethesda game it would have been just like a super close-up on rex's face <laughs> right or if it had been a, a you it would have been, even if it had been a bioware game totally. like knights of the old republic it would have just, like, would have just been a shot and he yeah. would have just been like hmm. and i would have loved it still but something about mass effect's production value just like transports it into into another realm liara tassoni interesting character because obviously one of the most popular one of the most critical um and she was for better or worse, the vector through which uh, so much of the romance, the lens through which so many of the romantic options are seen. And this was like one of the first games where like romantic options were a thing 
And it was a huge deal because if you were a female shepherd, right. you could date Liara. Now, of course, they made Liara, uh, you know, she wasn't strictly speaking one gender, right? But right. she, like, presented very female. She uses she, her, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, of course, um, uh, it, I was like, could I get your thoughts on Liara just only, like, as a panel? Uh, I mean, I really like the character. She was... Uh, part of my, my shepherd squad so it was Liara and Ashley which covered the biotic and soldier sides uh, quite ably but Liara was my like romantic love interest I never like had any other like mental you choice off. you never I'm, I mean in Mass Effect 2 yes oh okay <laughs> I mean I mean come on Miranda come on I, all right. Look, mm-hmm. I, I had to be a little renegade at least. Okay. <laughs> but uh, did you guys date Liara in your like playthrough? Yes. Yeah. Did everybody in this room no. date Liara? Oh. Oh. Only because that, that I wasn't really given excited. the option of dating Tally until the later game. Right. I wanted to date Tally. My hot space insect alien, whatever the hell she is in that suit. Yeah. I wasn't given that option during the first game. Tally, so. what the heck is going on behind the mask? We want to know. <laughs> Look yeah. at this Photoshop. You'll find <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Liara, man, like, I really love Liara's arc. And I, like, you dated Liara in the first game. And then I dated Tali in the second game. And you get, you know, through just the regular game, but especially with the Shadow Broker DLC in, in 2, you end up getting this other look at Liara and how she's changed and how the... the, the uh, uh, story of the first game and the events of the first game have impacted her and forced her to try to do something different with her life. Because she was like a peaceful archaeologist yeah, for the like most part. Yeah, and now and she, she like, becomes naive. crime boss. Right. And then a thing that I love is so I didn't get back with Liara at two and going into three I was like, oh man, like, this is it. Am I going to make, am I gonna, like, make that choice and maybe like, rekindle the old flame? And I didn't. And the thing that I love about Mass Effect 3, like maybe my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in all of Mass Effect is in three and it's the moment before the big final fight and Liara comes and you do the mind meld. You do the, the, the sorry mind meld. And that, in, that conversation was so powerful to me because of the events of Mass Effect 1 and 2 where I felt like Liara was someone who knew me in a way that goes beyond current relationship status, right? Like, I have that ex in real life who, like, I would trust with my life even though we're not dating anymore. And the fact that Bioware managed to nail that starts with her good characterization in Mass Effect 1, and then starts with you know, her, their ability to communicate her as naive and idealistic and show her become a little more cynical, a little more world-weary throughout the series. Yeah, I feel like later Shadow Broker really solidified her for me. Like that moment when your shepherd is walking like right in tandem with them, they're yes. both looking straight ahead, mm-hmm. talking, and you can feel the tension it's crackling so if you were dating in the previous game. Yeah. Uh, that was such an amazing moment for me. Yeah. Personally. I felt like Liara was my second best friend on my squad always, but my first was always Garrus. Yeah. He was yeah. the best friend. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he was my best friend because Garrus in the first one is like Robin. And, you know, he's like, you're so awesome. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to come with you. And then in the second game, he's like, I'm going to be Batman now yeah, because yeah. you're gone. Well, and this like is Nightwing. all I he can do. He's yeah. Nightwing. Yeah. Or Archangel, I think. Uh, so, yeah. like, like it, it was less, with Garrus, it was less uh, of, a, of a mutual understanding in the first game and more of a, you're a really cool kid. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go do some cool galaxy stuff. And I really you, enjoyed uh, it. Whether or not to kill that doctor. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I'll make the choice for you, buddy. <laughs> well, time is a little tight, so we can't talk about the entire cast, but I would be really remiss 
If I didn't talk, or if, I, if we didn't talk about the, the sex scene in the game, that set kind of the internet and cable news on fire. Let's, let's watch it, shall we? Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Kids. It's so cringy by itself, but in an entire room. <laughs> to happen on Ilos. I hope we will stop Saren, of course, but part of me fears we are already too late. There is something I must tell you, in case we fail. We're not going to fail, I promise. Please, I am not looking for comfort. Saren might already have the conduit. It is time to be completely honest with each other. These could be our last moments together. Our last chance to show each other how we feel. I want this to be special. We don't have to do this. Not unless you're sure. I have never been more sure of anything in my life. Will you join with me, Shepard? Let our bodies and minds unite. Just tell me what to do. Shepherd. Amazing. Five minutes ETA to the Mew Relay. I had better go. Duty calls. You would not want to keep Joker waiting. Shepard, whatever happens on Ilos, I just wanted to say thank you for everything. I want you all to look at me right now. We all just shared a moment, okay? This does not leave this room, I'm, all right? All right? I, I'm going to be completely real. Uh, if that had happened to me, as soon as the black eyes thing happened, I would just be like, I'm out. I'm sorry, y'all. I got to go. You got to let me know about that ahead of time. I'm cool with it, but just let me know. It's great. It's like... It's super cringy now. A hundred percent is. It's hard to watch. I think the entire system is cringy to the point of parody, right? Like you, yeah. you see uh, Saints Row uh, 4, of course, parodied it completely by saying, like, well, what if you could just sleep with your crewmates immediately instead of earning enough, <laughs> like, sex points or whatever, right? right? Except motherfucking Keith David. He right. said no. He said no, which good. Good for him. Um, but at the time, it still felt like, okay, they're trying to be tasteful. They were doing something. They were, they were doing, doing something. something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I can't stress enough how novel that was in 2007. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, like, the maturation of video games. Now, like, what that did, especially after, say, playing The Witcher and that kind of thing, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah cool, whatever. Like, <laughs> plenty of same-sex relationships. In fact, people get really mad if same-sex relationships aren't in games. Um, and even though they, like, found a way to kind of weak a lot of it, that was more or less what they were doing. And 
like, just having sex in a video game felt dangerous. That's why we had the, the sex box uh, scandal so on bad. Fox News. It's like, oh my God, there's sex in video games. What's the world coming to? This is for kids and that kind of yeah, thing. And so, that was the, under, yeah, that was the uh, undertone. It's like, kids are playing this. Yeah, see, see for me, it was, it was always cringy because I, I was playing it with friends. Like with roommate, so I was the one playing, but there were always people present. So it was one of those mo- moments, like when you're watching a movie and then there's a sex scene, and you're there with your parents, and you're just like, nobody look at anybody else. Let's just let's just have this moment by ourselves. Yeah. If anything, the cringe. It- that's what I would get mad like, when they're, oh, you know, you're playing Ass Effect on the sex box on news and stuff. And I'm like... That's what they said. It, I, what made me most, most upset, though, was like how cringy it was. I'm like, if they only saw the scene, they would know that it's just... It's just not realistic. It's just so... It's stupid. Like, they're really... Well, it says full digital character nudity. Yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah, it's pretty... That's a stretch. It was, a, it was as close as they could get. Yeah. That was full digital character nudity in The Witcher 3. We, yeah. we were just... We were starting down the slippery slope, as it were. <laughs> this greased the veils. Phrasing, <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I always like to do when I'm doing the Top 25 RPG Countdown is I always like to talk about what are the best moments, the moments that define an RPG that deserve to be on this list. And for me, it's, it's the entire final battle. It's the entire final act, which it's just a phenomenal cutscene. I mean, from the moment that the Mako gets his redemption... When it goes yes. through the mass gate, <laughs> the, big, the big reveal, and I love this reveal. It's an incredible reveal of how the, the, the gates were a trap all yeah. along mm-hmm. for the Reapers to, that once, uh, once humans got to a certain, or the alien races got to a certain point, the Reapers take it over, turn their technology against them, and isolate them and destroy them one by one. That, that was a great moment. The moment when you're outside the it's citadel incredible. and you're running along in zero gravity, that was amazing. With and then, of course... Sovereign at the end, you're like running down, down the towards citadel him. and Sovereign is like looking up at you. Oh, it's so good. The huge space battle that erupts all around you, the moment when you have to decide whether the console level dies, which is a big moment yeah. that sums up all of the themes that have been happening in Mass Effect. And most importantly... When you get Saren to shoot himself in the head. <laughs> oh. Saren has been the villain the entire game. He's a big villain. He's a great villain. He's like your yeah. evil side. Mm-hmm. He's a specter. Um, he's one step ahead of you the entire time. You're trying to figure out how to beat him. And it's so gratifying. It, like, it, it's a throwback to, say, Fallout, where instead of just fighting him, you go, no, do the, you're a soldier. You, you've betrayed everything. You know what you got to do. And he goes... Yes. And, like, and it's, like I said, it's cheesy, but, I mean, did they have, a, like, that kind of moment, really, in later games in the series? I don't really think so. Not, I don't think so. I, what I'll say is they call back to that moment really effectively in the, uh, what is the name of the Kasumi DLC? Is it just the Kasumi DLC in Mass Effect yeah. 2? Yeah, yeah. Stolen Memories, Stolen Memories, where, you know, Stolen Memories is a great little heist level, right? Right. Um, and there's this moment when you go into the basement of this, this kind of mansion you're robbing, and this kind of criminal has stolen all this art from around the galaxy over years. And when you kind of go through the, there's an entryway, there's just a statue of Saren, and yeah. just, you know, you make eye contact with, this, with the statue, and 
it makes Akino it doesn't look back at you. It's a statue. Um, but, <laughs> but there is this moment of just like, oh, Saren has a weight on me. And that, again, speaks to how good Saren was in the first game. Yeah, and especially in those later games where if you were playing, uh, e- even if you were playing Paragon, you were still a little bit more forceful than you were right. in that very first game. So there was always that moment like, uh, like at least even for Paragon, like, am I becoming more like Saren? If you were a renegade, yes, you were, you were already you were from the first game. <laughs> so what are your favorite moments? I'm going to throw it to the panel now. I'm going to start with Matt. So I, we've already mentioned like one of the kind of defining moments is, is that moment where you have to talk Rex down, where you, you roll up on him. And, and yeah, I was like you. I kind of cheated. And I was like, okay, how do I keep Rex in my party? Because you, you are t- just trying to talk a man off a ledge, right? Um, so I think that's the one that I remember most from that game. But I will say there are so many little moments. And, and the reason I love this, this game and this series is this series is it, it's pretty high in the spectrum of like hard sci-fi, where they actually have thought out the science other than the Mass Effect tech itself, which is sort of like the big lie that the whole thing is based on. But um, even, so, do you guys remember the, the alien species, the Elcor? They're the yeah, ones yeah. that, they have to preface everything they say with their emotion, because in their race, everything they do, the movements and their speech, it's so subtle that they pick up on it, but we don't, we, we don't have the ability to pick up on the subtlety, so they have to be obvious about things. So to me, the fact that someone thought that out, like thought out how they communicate, and then thought out a way for, to, you know, for them to portray like their emotion, that is just a perfect example of like why as a series like this is one of the true like big space operas to me is like they've thought out the backstory they thought out the universe and the world and that's to me that one of the most memorable things about mass effect is it's it's sort of this universe i want to live in because it's plausible you know other than the one thing the mass effect tech you know right uh, i already said mine is definitely the sovereign <laughs> conversation um which was this amazing, like, just bomb of information and lore. It was freaky. And freaky, yeah, yeah, totally. And, like, scary. Like, actually was frightening to phenomenal have... Phenomenal use of sound effects. Sorry, I won't keep interrupting, no, but please. I just... It really stands out. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I, and I think that part of it is... So much of Mass Effect works because... Specifically Mass Effect 1, because you feel so small in the face of the galaxy. And, like, by the time you get to Vermeer, you've done a few of the other planets, and so you're like... I got, my, I got my foot in about me. I understand how to be on a spaceship. And then Sovereign's like, no, you don't understand anything. You're so small. <laughs> and it, it, Sovereign's right. Like, you are so small. And it kind of sets the stakes for everything else. Um, second best is just all of Novaria because it feels like a cool, weird, like, cyberpunk espionage story. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the best things Mass Effect does, too, is it, it, it has because of the breadth of that first game and all the different worlds you visit, it can kind of pivot between types of science fiction. Sometimes it feels like cyberpunk. Sometimes it feels like space opera. Sometimes it feels really campy and goofy. And because of the breadth and because you actually go to all these places, it manages to pull that off without feeling inconsistent. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, the, the reveal that Sovereign, like, it's not just a ship. Yeah. Like, for me, that was like, oh, that's a really cool ship. And then it's like, well, the ship might have mine. Con- oh, that ship is an actual thing. That's the bad guy. What? I remember, like, I put down the controller. My friend had to pick it up because I was around the room. I was like, it's a- it's the bad guy. And I'm, like, walking around, you know, like, oh. So- it makes your second playthrough great, too, because you go to Eden Prime and you see it again. And you're right. like, oh, it was oh, always yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I had one moment I forgot. You were going to have me defend the Mako, and there was a, mo- a single moment when driving the Mako on the moon, cresting over the edge of a crater and seeing the Earth from the moon. Oh, 
That is why I love the Mako, and that, is, that, that to me was the epitome of like exploration, and the fact that it's exploration in our home turf, like the moon and earth, but that to me was like the biggest moment of, oh my God, I'm playing like this real big space opera, and I feel small seeing the earth from the moon, of all things. Do you remember getting that call in the game where you're, they're like, uh, some shit's going down on the moon. Like, what do you mean, the moon? Which like, moon? No, yeah, the, which moon. Moon. the moon. Our moon. Like, what? What? I'm going to the moon? Okay. There's space whales on the moon also, apparently? It's, it's weird. The writing in that game was really great yeah. often, especially when Joker and such were talking. Uh, and it was fun. It was yeah. so fun. Yeah. I think the Mako was, to your point, like emblematic of the spirit of exploration and the ambition. Like This game truly was a soap o- space opera. You, you were truly were like exploring the stars in your ship. You were out there. And yeah, I, it's, it's rare to find a game that, feel, that really puts you in the moment in the way that Mass Effect does. So I, I suppose... That's why, for me, like, that's why Mass Effect stands heads and shoulders over so many other games and why it deserves to be on this list is it was, yeah, it was messy, but it was huge. It was ambitious. It told a great story, a great self-contained story. It had a pitch-perfect cast, a, a great finale. It tried so many interesting things. It was very much in touch with Bioware's roots. Yeah, maybe you could, you could the combat felt janky compared to uh, Mass Effect 2, and you could talk about all day about whether or not it's a good idea to take agency out of the hands of the players in terms of whether or not your stats impact things, but I'm playing a friggin' RPG, I want my stats to impact things. I'm just saying. So, guys, like, final thoughts? Uh, I mean, my final thought is a lot of people at the very end of everything uh, with Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3, people were disappointed by the ending, and part of that disappointment was that Mass Effect 1 was such a great first step like just into the world, into the characters, the Quarian, the Elcor, the Turians, and the cast. It was just such an amazing first step. And it's kind of surprising, like looking back, that it all came together as well as it did. Because yes, they were building on a lot of the stuff that they did with uh, Knights of the Old Republic, but they were also sort of blazing a trail on their own because they were introducing the player to an entire new world, whereas with Star Wars, a lot of that stuff is already built in. There's a sort of understanding of the force of lightsabers and all that stuff. So, like, Mass Effect had to, to sit from the ground up and say, here, here's all of the races, here's the world that you inhabit, and, and it worked. It worked totally. so well. well I, and I, I keep coming back to that specific feeling and thought when I think about RPGs in general in this moment. I... I like, truth be told, like, I, I didn't love Mass Effect Andromeda, but even if you told me there was going to be a Mass Effect 4 with the number 4, uh, you know, if I heard that there was a Fallout 5 coming, if I heard that there was a KOTOR 3 coming, I'd be excited, but I wouldn't be as excited as I was, or as I, as I would be for something that convinced me that there was a new world to explore, a new setting with new lore, with new characters, right. with a new entire feeling because that's what I don't want to play a sequel to Mass Effect at this point. I want to play something that made me feel like Mass Effect made me feel the first time I booted it up. And that's something RPGs can do. It's one of the reasons why RPGs are great is because as a genre, they lean into excess. They lean into world building. They lean into character. And so many other games that are great. I love action games. I, I love all sorts of games. But there, there just isn't the right economy of time there. I want to go into something like, like a Mass Effect and say, like, I'm going to be here for 50, 60 hours. Mm-hmm. I want to immerse myself 
myself in this. And I want there to be something where I, and I get why that this is such a rare thing. It's expensive to create an entire new world and all new species and planets and ideas, but there's nothing sometimes like it. it. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes like. it just doesn't work. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So uh, Austin, you mentioned earlier, like this is, this is one of the few franchises that um, I took the time to collect everything and read all the backstory and the lore. I read the tie-in novels. Right. For crying Same. Out loud, right. And, and, for me, it's, it's just a great example of this is, it's one of the greatest RPGs of all time. It's probably the best science fiction series created as a video game first of all time. Like, I'll go out on a limb and say that. Um, part of that, I do want to say, I have one kind of closing thought there is it has to do a lot to do with the music. Yeah. Um, so so just the, the Mass Effect music, which I, I wrote their names down just so I could give them credit. So it was co-composed by Sam Hewlett and Jack Wall. Like, that was a big part of kind of setting up. Like, every, every time you booted up the game, it had, it was just synth. Like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. When no, you no. see the text, I'm always a sucker for anything that starts with text telling me, like, setting up the background with the do 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 Yeah, like... The, those synths when you're going to get the bombs on Eden Prime oh, that are just so like the... No, 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 no. It's like, oh, yes, it's so yeah. good. It, it, had, it, it had this, like... Because space is a dangerous place, right? So there was this tension. Even listening to the main like menu music, I felt this like tension and, and like yeah, things could, in any minute could go wrong. This spaceship could explode, and I'd be out in the cold death of and space. And it does. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wait, wait, what happened in the second game? Uh, don't worry. Uh, we'll get there one day. Don't worry about it. But that's for Mass Effect Two. Do we have time for a couple questions? So if you want to come and ask a question for the panel, there's a microphone over there. So uh, come on, oh. come on up. No! Oh, oh, he just like straight up walked out. <laughs> it's like it's time for a question. No, I'm walking out. Mass Effect 1 really different from the rest is how lonely it feels and how like there's a, almost like a horror element with like the Reapers and not knowing what that is. So do you think that in your first time playing, did you feel like that it was like a daunting like task? Like did you think that the atmosphere was a bit more like um, hostile than your average RPG? Uh, I'm going to say yes, at least going into that uh, probably funnel fight. I had the feeling, I was like, oh, they're probably going to kill off Shepard. I, I really thought they were <laughs> wow. like in that game. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I, I think so, definitely. So many of the main missions had callbacks to kind of classic sci-fi horror. Uh, and Ragnar, they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, all that stuff. Uh, and so, totally. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons it might maybe felt more lonely to me is that first game, they, they were very clear. It's all about choice and you as the player and the choice you're making. Whereas the second and third game became more about the team. <clears throat> and, you know, it was getting the band back together and stuff. So, yeah, I definitely felt, like I said, I felt tension during the main menu just loading the game up, right? And so, it, yeah, it, at any minute, it felt like anything bad, like something bad could happen. So, agreed. Thanks for your question. Thank you. One more. One of my favorite things in the game is that there's so much content that you will miss every time, no matter how you play. Like, you'll, you'll only see the Talitha side quest if you're a colonist and you go back to the Citadel, stuff like right, that. Yeah. Do you think min-maxing uh, hurts your experience, or we prove, do you get a better experience by just playing through and letting your mistakes play out? Like, if you get to Vermeer and there's no way to save Rex, if you didn't get his armor and you weren't ready to talk him down and Ashley shoots him in the back of the head, that kind of stuff. I do min-maxing games because I, I play MMOs and some, some other games, but uh, in Mass Effect, it was never one of those things where I, I would go and min-max uh, like on purpose. So I, I, I can see what you're saying. Like a lot of people, like if you, you were to, to 
build your character in a certain way, you would definitely miss that. But I think for most people, that first playthrough isn't uh, trying to find a specific experience. It's just letting the experience happen to you because of the choices that you made. Yeah, I'm a softman maxer, which is like, <laughs> I know that the main plot planets are going to have big, like, uh, Paragon or Renegade checks in terms of what your score is. So I'm going to do all the side stuff I can do before I go to those main ones. And Mass Effect 2 punished me for that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I definitely think um, on my first playthrough, I want to see everything. And, and I think the Paragon playthrough kind of lets you do that a lot of the time. Whereas the Renegade playthrough, that tends to be my shortcut when I say, okay, I've already seen most of the game. And so Props to BioWare for developing a game with, with so much content you can miss. You know, similar to like Witcher 3. You can miss hours and hours of content that they spent millions of dollars on. So, okay. All right, everybody, that's all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for coming.